The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to I Took the High Road with Jacob Jansen. Our program is designed to educate about the drug problems that are reaching epidemic proportions in the United States. Could we be approaching the drug problem the wrong way? Mr. Jansen has been down the road of addiction, down the path of recovery, and now helps others find their path. Addicts are not bad people trying to get good. They're sick people needing to get well. Are you a part of the solution or the problem? Come and join us for an hour of fantastic guests, amazing stories, positive encouragement, and information that just might make your community a better place. Now, here is your host, Jacob Jansen. Hello, I'm Jacob Jansen, and this is I Took the High Road. Uh, today's show is on recovery coaching, and I know it's going to be a great show uh, because recovery coaching was one of the most important pieces in my aftercare. Uh, when I talk with a lot of the general public about aftercare, uh, there's th- certainly this perception that uh, if, if you want to stay clean and remain clean after an inpatient treatment facility, uh, there needs to be some type of aftercare care in place. And usually people look to programs like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotic Anonymous uh, or any of the, the anonymous groups that are out there. Uh, but in my early recovery, about you know two years into my recovery, um, I read a statistic that said only about one in three people in long-term recovery uh, attends a 12-step group or program. So I said, you know, if, if only one out of three people are doing this, that means two out of three people are doing something else. And I wanted to figure out what they were doing. Uh, that really led me to recovery coaching. Um, and recovery coaching, I found, was not just talking about the problems, but it was doing something about them. Uh, recovery coaching and working with mentor coaches has really helped me uh, find my path in recovery and help me uh, excel in life, not just maintain recovery. Um, they've really helped me find what I want and how to get it and how to find support and reduce stress in my recovery. So Hazelton uh, did a study out a few years ago uh, that said if you uh, go into an inpatient treatment program and leave, about one out of four people make it without a coach. Uh, with the coach, the statistics jumped up to three out of four people make it. So that really says something about, you know, that, that component, making a better life for yourself in recovery um, and trying to find that better life. Uh, so today uh, we have a, a really great guest on the show. Her name is Melissa Colleen. 
Uh, and it, she's been a recovery coach and a pioneer in this industry for many years. She has a master's degree in executive coaching and a master's of philosophy in organizational dynamics from the University of Pennsylvania. She has also been the past president of Recovery Coaches International. Uh, right now, I currently sit on the board also. It's a great organization. You can check them out online. Uh, and she is also the author of Recovery Coaching, a guide to coaching people in recovery from addiction. So, Melissa, I'd like to welcome you to the show today, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Jacob. I appreciate you asking. Uh, so, you know, in your book, and, and I very much love the book, again, it's called Recovery Coaching, A Guide to Coaching People in Recovery from Addictions. Um, and it has a big section in there uh, about what is recovery coaching? Can, can you just give a, a brief overview of what recovery coaching really is? Well, recovery coaching was defined by William White in 2002 to give you an idea of how new in a uh, field this is. And he basically said that a recovery coach is a non-clinical person, not a doctor, not a therapist. And that non-clinical recovery coach helps the newly recovering person, like you said, coming out of treatment or basically in the recovery community that may need a little support and help. And that recovery coach is a personal guide and mentor to manage the personal and family recovery. And uh, many recovery coaches are there as a guide to show that recovering person how they achieved recovery. So sometimes a recovery coach is in recovery themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and I certainly uh, believe that you know some of the best coaches, the best therapists, the best counselors are people that have certainly been uh, through this experience in their own life. It's the people that have not only been uh, book educated, uh, you know, on on the certain subject, but they've also lived through it and have figured out uh, exactly what the poles of these substances are and how to get away from them. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Y- you mentioned that coaching was really developed in uh, 2002, and it's such a new field. And um, I know two years ago when I started taking my training course, I could go into just about any uh, inpatient, you know, accredited inpatient treatment facility in Wisconsin and say, look, I'm training to be a recovery coach. And they, they really didn't have a whole lot of idea what I was talking about. It was still such a new field where uh, such a conservative area of the country that it hadn't really made it here. I'm starting to see it move more to the Midwest, but could you talk maybe a little bit more about the history of recovery coaching and really um, how this has uh, ballooned and grown into what it is today? Well, in my book, I describe the work of Bob Timmons, and Bob was an addict, an ex-con, a person who had lived on the street when he was very young. 14, 15, 16 years old, and encountered a lot of addiction, violence, and crime in his early adolescence. And Bob turned around. Bob turned around and began helping others. Along that route, Bob was asked 
to help Aerosmith stay sober when they were promoting their uh, album uh, in 1984. Sure. And at the time, uh, Joe Perry and Steven Tyler were heroin addicts. And so they asked Bob to go on the road with Aerosmith and, and help keep them sober. And so I like to credit Bob as being the first recovery coach. And he was based out of the Los Angeles area at the time. Since then, there's been many more. And uh, even someone shared with me just a few days ago uh, that Dr. Watson was Sherlock Holmes' recovery coach. And of course, this is the new spin on on the movie or on the TV show with Lucy Liu. Uh, so, you know, there are different forms of being a person there to support another person's recovery, whether we call it mentor, whether we call it recovery coach, whether we call it sober companion. We're still doing the same thing. We're there to support someone in their recovery. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, it's whatever they need. It's really about, it's client driven. It's tailored to the client. It's, it's helping them figure out what they really want to achieve. Um, and I very quickly recognize the difference, uh, between therapy, um, having a sponsor like an AA and a recovery coach. So uh, could you clarify for our listeners maybe a, a little bit more about you know the difference between a recovery coach, a sponsor, and a therapist or some of maybe the other traditional roles that are, are in recovery? That is the most frequent question I receive. And first, uh, a recovery coach is not a sponsor. Uh, because of the seventh, uh, seventh tradition, uh, there is not a, uh, you should not make money on taking someone to an AA meeting. So understanding the, uh, the 12 traditions in AA and all of the other 12-step support groups, it is very important that a recovery coach does not tread on those traditions. And so we do not call ourselves sponsors, although we do quite a lot in that crosses over the job descriptions with a sponsor. If I am asked to take a client to a 12-step meeting, I do not charge that client for that hour, plain and simple. Sure. It, you know, and, and one of the things that I certainly do as, as a recovery coach, especially with distance clients, uh, one of the very first things is to really try and help them find that support in the community uh, around uh, what they're doing with me as a coach. So if it's, it's they need to find a support group, it's helping them uh, find that support group. If it is uh, getting a job, it's helping them find those people that can help them more effectively. So what I really do is not do it for them, but help them figure out uh, who can help them around them and how they can do it quick. And if they get stuck, how can they uh, move past that? If they have ambivalence towards the project, how can they move past that? Um, 
and and I wanted to 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 back up just a tiny bit uh, to the history of coaching, and you know, and I know in your bio uh, that you said you made this connection um, studying executive coaching and recovery coaching. Where do you think that epiphany came from to make that connection between <clears throat> hey, these executive coaches, recovery coaching might work very well for these people also. I could say that it's a uh, it was a spiritual moment, and you would understand, but I don't know all of your un, uh, listeners would understand that. So I went back to school to change my career in my 50s, and I went back to school to be an executive coach. So I was learning all about how to be an executive coach and the tools you use, and client-centered and motivational interviewing and all of that stuff that we use in recovery coaching started out in executive coaching training. And at the same time, I was attending 12-step meetings. And I would look around the room, and I would see these people and hear their stories about the difficulty that they're having assimilating life and work and family into their recovery, how to make it work, how difficult it is to manage all three, especially when they're new in recovery. And the light went on. I had that spiritual moment. Sure. No, I, I can... I completely agree with you and know exactly where you're coming from. When when I was incarcerated in Huber for eight and a half months, uh, I attended a lot of AA and NA meetings, and you know they were really great. I could talk about my problems, I could vent, you know, with other people, and uh, they could hear, you know, that we had similar issues and problems. Uh, but the thing was, week after week, I kept hearing them vent, talking about the problems, and eventually, I said there's got to be somebody out there that's going to help me start fixing some of these problems, not just talk about them. Um, right. that, that's really what led me to coaching, <clears throat> that, it, that it's so action-driven and anybody can benefit from it. Um, you know, we, we mentioned that a coach really isn't a sponsor or a therapist, um, you know, and how a therapist usually looks back at the past and what caused the problems. Coaches are very forward-centric. What roles uh, may a coach take on or, or, you know, my mentor coach says, you know, I'm going to put on this hat or a different type of role when, when she moves away from the coaching role. So when we talk about the coaching roles, what are they? Well, first I want to say I agree with you 100% and I profess in my book the same. As a recovery coach, we urge our clients to seek out a sponsor. And again, research shows that if you really want to get recovery, it requires you to see a therapist, to be part of a group therapy uh, experience, and to pursue this for a good number of years, five at least. So I urge my clients to do both, to seek out a sponsor, to also enroll in uh, therapists regularly, if not once a week, twice a month, and also enroll in a group therapy session, as well as any mutual support group that they are comfortable in. So 
it is part of the recovery process to have all three. Yep, Melissa, I think you're exactly spot on with that. I, I'm four years and three months, a little over three months into my recovery, uh, and I still attend a professional group at a counseling center once a month, um, and I still work with a mentor coach. And uh, just recently, I had two of them and, and just recently got one, but uh, still four years, three months into my recovery, uh, I'm still working with a counselor, still working with a mentor coach, uh, mm-hmm. a, a uh, uh, and along with all of the other things that I'm doing, speaking events in the schools and uh, all different things. So uh, when, you know, th- when I went through the class, uh, there is things called ethical concepts and core competencies of a recovery coach. And, and these were the things that really differ uh, from a qualified good coach and a, a coach that may not be as qualified or as good. Uh, so can you explain uh, what are some of the ethical concepts and core competencies of a recovery coach? The ethical concepts are very, very uh, simple if you look at them. You know, don't have sex with a client. Don't take money from the client. Don't uh, do anything that you will regret or pay for legally down the road. However, in uh, my book, William White and Beverly Haverly, Beverly Haverty runs ProAct, a recovery organization in southeastern Pennsylvania. They wrote an ethical guideline for coaches. It's called the Ethical Guideline for the Delivery of Peer-Based Services. And that's a PDF that is available online. If you Google William White, you'll get William White papers, and you can find these ethical guidelines. And what makes this document so terrific is that it tells stories. It tells the story of the recovery coach with the client, and the client needs $5. And the recovery coach, of course, the first impression is to reach in his pocket and take out $5. That's an ethical violation. So it goes in specifically and very in-depth. It is not a small document. It's 25-plus pages. So to go through all of the ethical guidelines, we'll be talking for the whole hour, and we won't cover them all. But without yep. a doubt, I urge anyone who is thinking about being a recovery coach to consider looking at um, that document and really reading these stories because the stories go above and beyond just don't steal, don't cheat, don't have sex, you know. Yep. I, th- I think that was one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about your book, Melissa, was it just wasn't raw information that uh, you incorporated a lot of stories, uh, made the, the book really interesting to read. So uh, we have to take a quick commercial break here. But again, that book is called Recovery Coaching, A Guide to Coaching People in Recovery from Addictions. And it's available on Amazon Books right now. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to talk uh, more with M- Melissa Colleen on the core comp competencies of a recovery coach and and what they actually do. So now here's a quick word from our sponsors.
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org. So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I am Jacob Jansen, and this is I Took the High Road. Uh, Before we left for commercial break, we were talking with Melissa Colleen about recovery coaching um, and the ethical concepts. Uh, So, Melissa, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, So, uh, to get back into this again, uh, I mentioned some of the core competencies of a recovery coach. So, what are some of the core competencies of a recovery coach? Well, Jacob, I I had told you during the break that when I first uh, became involved with Recovery Coaches International, the Association for Recovery Coaches, there was a lot of talk about this, and I'm using air quotes, core competencies. And I found that phrase confusing. 
So I really looked at the core competencies of RCI and the International Coaching Federation, and I realized that they were job descriptions. So I like to say a core competency is a job description, and I'll give you a for instance. So a recovery coach is also an outreach worker. And the core competencies of an outreach worker means that they identify and engage hard-to-reach individuals, such as homeless populations or addicted populations or the LGBT community. And in reaching out, they offer living proof of the transformative power of recovery. So in essence, that is one of the core competencies of a recovery coach, to be an outreach worker. But as I describe that job description further, it fills out the definition of of what a core competency is. So along those lines, the core competencies or a job description of a recovery coach is a motivator. They really exhibit faith that they know their client has the capacity to change. They pull on resources. They pull on resources of AA, NA, Buddhist recovery, any kind of religious organization that has recovery uh, books, meetings. Yep, yep. That's, you know... what one of the, the the things, um, you know, as I was training to be a recovery coach, is you know that we really don't endorse or promote one single way of recovery. Everybody starts for different reasons. Everybody's going to quit for different reasons, and people are going to stay quit for different reasons, and and or keep that abstinence for different reasons. Um, so when when I went through treatment, you know, a little over four years ago, uh, we were. Uh, the treatment facility uses the traditional model of recovery called the Minnesota model of recovery, and that's the traditional abstinence-based, mm-hmm. uh, no-use mm-hmm. type of model. When I got into recovery coaching, one of the first things that we learned was harm reduction. And uh, coming out of an abstinence-based model, it was so counterintuitive to me going, uh, you know, how can heroin addicts who are actively, you know, injecting heroin into their veins uh, use harm reduction because even reducing harm, you can still kill yourself, still get felonies. So I said, that's kind of insanity. But as I started to understand what it really was about, um, it started to give me a little bit more clarity. And it's it's really about accepting the disease and figuring out what's the best way to help that person and get them to the point where they want to quit on their own. So for our listeners, can you maybe uh, discuss some of the, the differences between the Minnesota model of recovery or the recovery management model or harm reduction model of recovery? How do they differ? Again, <laughs> we could talk for an entire hour on that. But I'm going to first take out the Minnesota model because the Minnesota model changed recovery treatment monumentally. Before the recovery, uh, before the Minnesota model was developed, people who were alcoholics were in insane asylums. They thought they were crazy. Mm -hmm. And 
that they would be crazy like this for the rest of their lives. So the Minnesota model allowed people to be separated, alcoholics and addicts, to be separated from those that were in the asylum that had mental health issues. They introduced the concept of 12-step recovery. They introduced the concept of recovery. And they also started taking notes and what that is a normal process today that we just, you know, can't imagine the therapist wouldn't be taking notes as, as they're talking to their client. But this was unheard of back then and back then really isn't too long ago. I mean, we were talking about, you know, the 60s. Sure. So the reason it's called Minnesota is that it really was developed in Minnesota and grew from that. So from the Minnesota model, the recovery management model was developed, and that was developed in the 1980s. And William White was one of, uh, is an, again, a name that I'm going to throw out a lot, but Michael Boyle and David Loveland and Patrick Corrington were, were the writers of that. And it came out of Illinois. <clears throat> and here they took the Minnesota model and improved upon it. They said, you know, the client is the one that directs this change. And they have to participate in the planning and the the delivery and because it's affecting them. So Mm -hmm. this is where we came up with the term client-centered treatment. If the client wants to walk out, the client gets to walk out. They're not in an asylum with chains on their ankles. They get to walk out. One one thing that I recognized uh, pretty early in this is that if I am working harder than the client on their recovery, there's they're not going to make it. There's a problem there. Uh, so you know, it's certainly about giving them those options um, and the tools, and you know, say, hey, I'm here for you if you need me. But what do you want out of this? I'm not going to diagnose you. I'm not going to ask you, you know, uh, if you've been using the last week, I'm going to ask you, what do you want to get done this week and how are we going to get it done? Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the ways that I very effectively do that and help move my clients along is a technique called motivational interviewing. Um, It was a big portion of uh, the, the, the class that I took and learning how to do motivational interviewing. So can you explain to our listeners what motivational interviewing is and and why it's really effective in recovery coaching? Well, a perfect motivational interviewing question is a question that elicits more than a yes or a no answer. So I can ask you, did you drink this week? And you'll say no. But if I ask you, were there any situations in which you thought about drinking, you'll give me a much, much thorough answer. And it will give me more information that I can form and ask the next question. So in a nutshell, motivational interviewing is how to ask questions that do not get answered by a yes or a no. 
Sure, those those open ended questions, uh, and mm-hmm. it's it's it certainly that that was a skill, and I understand why they took so much time to master it. That uh, took a little while to develop, and uh, and to not only ask these open ended questions, but to also make sure that they weren't leading questions and leading the client anywhere. So uh, that's something also that I had to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Another portion of this, you know, as a coach, we're really taught to coach where the client is at in their program. And that really kind of leads back to that harm reduction model that we may work with somebody who is actively using. Um, And and there's a process called the stages of change, Prochaska's stages of change. How does a good coach really help the client through some of these stages, the the pre-contemplation, the contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance stages? That's a very good question because I made up in my head before we got on the line that I would discuss the stages of change as these, this is where the client is, and there's a certain point in which the coach has no power at all to make any changes. So you asking me that question makes me look at it in a different way. But I'll, I'll start from the beginning, and okay. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll answer your question as I go <laughs> along. Okay. So the, the five stages of change are indicative of how ready that person is to stop drinking, drugging, acting out. And it's very important for a coach to recognize where that client is because that has an impact on the success and or failure of their coaching engagement. So when I see and I ask, the client, have you quit drinking in the last 30 days? And if I get a no answer, then I know that client is in the pre-contemplation stage. And that's pretty much what they have not thought about stopping drinking at all. So I often say, you know, you're, you're not going to be successful in helping this person because they haven't stopped thinking about drinking. However, a lot of times, and, and you were talking about the drug court system, mm-hmm. those individuals are mandated to go into treatment, go into outpatient programs, and here in New Jersey, those individuals are assigned recovery coaches in recovery centers. So what about the recovery coach that sits down with a client who is in the drug court system and is very angry about having to stop their using behavior? So that we have to work with those individuals in the pre-contemplation stage. So at least we can identify this is where they are and this is the thought process. I don't want to stop drinking. I don't want to stop using. And we as coaches have to pull from our various tools, harm reduction, contingency management, recovery management, all these models to help crack through that pre-contemplation stage that our client is in. Sure. So let's, let's say that the client has 
tried to stop drinking in the past month, maybe for a week. Maybe they've reduced their drinking to just the weekend. This is a golden time to catch somebody, and we call that the contemplation stage. And it's exactly that term. They're thinking about quitting drinking. And so this is when a coach can really develop and nurture an individual and will step in. And most likely is the time that the client will consider calling a recovery coach or going to a recovery support center and finding out more information. And will also start attending AA meetings or NA meetings or CA meetings. So the next stage is, uh, after the contemplation stage, is the preparation stage. And again, it's very straightforward. This is when an individual says, yeah, I need to do something about it. I've gone to a couple of AANA meetings. I've talked to somebody at the recovery center. I think I need to do this. And this is what I have to do to prepare to live a life of recovery. And so in doing the preparation stage, again, a golden opportunity for a recovery coach, that person is ready to embrace recovery. So work with them. Sure. And then after they figure out and you work with this client, all right, you have a meeting at AA at the church on Mondays at 730, then you go back on Tuesday at noon during your lunch hour, and then on Wednesday you have to go to the hospital for the AA meeting. It starts at 8, and then you plan the recovery process with this person. And then the next stage is the action stage. This is when the, the rote memory of all the meetings rolls off the client's tongue. Oh, yeah, I went Wednesday. We talked about this. Oh, yeah, I was there Thursday night. We went after the meeting over to the diner. So the action stage is when a client embraces everything that needs to be embraced with recovery, meetings, therapists, group therapy, reading recovery books, getting a sober uh, sponsor or a sober companion or a recovery coach. All of those are indicative that the client is in the action stage, and the action stage can last for years. Yeah, absolutely. A relapse could happen and, you know, so he goes back to the preparation stage to repair whatever needs to be repaired and then goes back. Or a full-blown, year-long, two-year, decade-long relapse can happen and then they go all the way back to the contemplation or pre-contemplation stage. But the the action stage really can last years. And then the final phase is the maintenance stage. The maintenance stage is what we term long-term recovery. And I always want to put a little plug in. There's 23 million people in the United States in long-term recovery. That's a lot of people. 
And that's fantastic. And and I think those people are the people that are working with coaches, are active in their recovery. And before we get to a commercial break right now, I just have to say, I heard you mention that uh, New Jersey is now in starting to employ recovery coaches in the court systems. And I think that's fantastic. In the Midwest here, uh, we're just now starting to see the drug courts starting to pop up and peer support specialists starting to be accepted and employed. So we have to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, talk more with Melissa Colleen uh, about uh, who can benefit from a recovery coach and really how to find a good one. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and here's a word from our sponsors. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school We're using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org. So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back. This is Jacob Jansen, and uh, this is I Took the High Road. I'm sorry, I am Jacob Jansen, and this is I Took the High Road. Uh, During the break, I was talking with Melissa Colleen. Melissa, can you reiterate uh, what we were talking about right before the commercial break for our listeners? Sure. And the state of New Jersey has a drug court uh, clients that use recovery coaches, but the drug court system in the state of New Jersey does not employ those recovery coaches. The clients are referred to treatment centers and outpatient uh, uh, treatment centers that employ or use recovery support centers that are assigned, the recovery coaches are assigned to the drug court um, client, but the drug court system does not employ those recovery coaches. Okay, thank, and thank you for clarifying for our, our listeners. So th- those uh, individuals, you know, are, are one group, you know, going through the judicial system, you know, who are being referred to a recovery coach. Uh, who else could benefit from a recovery coach, and what could a client really expect when working with a coach? Well, just like working with a coach, whether it's life coach, whether it's career coach, whether it's a business coach, a lot of people can benefit from working with a recovery coach. It can be a person coming right out of treatment where a recovery coach meets them right at the door of the treatment center, brings them home, and starts working with them. It can be a person with five or six years of recovery and is dealing with some difficulty in their life, and all of a sudden thoughts of using are popping in. A family is a perfect group of people that can work and benefit with a family recovery coach. Addictions affect the family significantly, and they're the ones who don't go into treatment, don't learn how to change, and so a recovery coach working one-on-one with the family members is an ideal situation. Also, if it's not a family, it's a spouse. So the same thing holds true. How to adapt your behavior for this new change in the person that you have lived with for so many years that has been under the influence. And and I'm so, glad you... Sorry, go ahead. No, no. So I, I mean, I refer fam, to family uh, recovery coaches all the time. There's always and, a family involved. And and I'm glad you clarified that, you know, as a family coach, you still work one-on-one. Uh, because coaching is so action-driven, um, it, it's very hard to coach a group of people. It is a very one-on-one, uh, very individualized type of, of service. Uh, so, you know, if somebody was looking for a coach, what is the difference between a good coach and a bad coach? What should people really look for when they're trying to find a qualified coach? Well, the easiest, quickest way to find a, a capable and qualified coach is go to the RCI website. They have find a coach. Any of their members have the experience, strength, and hope. And the Outside of that, there's this internet where just typing in recovery coach, Uh, recovery mentor, whatever words you want to find, you will find 
so many people that have websites. What is very important is certification for that individual, that they've taken some kind of course to teach them how to be a recovery coach. The second is how long have they been a recovery coach? Have they been doing this for two years or have they done it for 10 years? And I really, I put a lot of effort into getting responses and testimonials from my clients. And I have a few clients that I refer the prospective client to contact and get a referral one-on-one with. And I think that makes all the difference in the world. Getting the, the comments from the clients I've worked for in the past. Um, yep. the, the recovery coach has to have a lot of experience in recovery. The, the recovery coach doesn't have to be in recovery themselves. I want to emphasize that. They could have experienced a spouse in recovery. Their parents could have been addicts. And what was it like to live in that situation? Sure, some They experience. bring to the table a lot of experience in recovery without not necessarily being the addict themselves. So don't look at it as a prospective client saying, oh, I need somebody who has, you know, definitely gone through this process just as I have, uh, but be open and, and willing to see, you know, all possibilities. You know, when, and, when I... When I was starting out uh, looking for a, a recovery coaching school two years ago, um, I found programs that were anywhere from, you know, you could be a coach in 48 hours to uh, the program that I took, uh, Crossroads Recovery Coaching School in Washington, uh, which was a year-long program. And mm-hmm. since then, mm-hmm. um, I've gone on to uh, to to. St- get my mentor coaching hours and apply for my uh, International Coaching Federation credentials. Uh, One of the other things that really helped me uh, starting in this industry and and really uh, get my foot in the door to treatment facilities was that I had professional liability insurance. Do you have any uh, advice for new coaches in the industry that may be just starting? Well, you you just pointed out a very, very good requirement. You can't get your referrals from any of these treatment centers unless you have professional liability insurance over a million dollars. And I say that in my book. You know, this is, you're running a business. You're not doing this as a sponsor. This is a business, so it's important that you employ the professionals that you need, be it a a lawyer, an accountant to establish your business. You need to approach it like a business person, create a website, create business cards, create a marketing plan, and even if it is a part-time business, something that you do in conjunction with a day job, that's okay because your business will grow. The longer you are in the marketplace, the more experience you have, the higher fee you can charge, on and on and on. 
it's you know, it, it does it does certainly take time to to build a business, and and I have to let our listeners know that I thought you did a fantastic job in your book uh, about not just talking about recovery coaching and the skills you need to do it, but also the business side of it, the HIPAA forms, the different contractual agreements, the action plans that are involved. I, I think the appendix is as long as the the book is, which is yeah, uh, right. you know, there's a ton of resources in it, which just really really amazed me. Yeah. Uh, so y- you have an, a new book coming out and and I certainly want to to address this uh be before the time ends and it's called Peer Recovery Support Specialist: A Guide to Peer-to-Peer Coaching for Mental Health Recovery and it's coming out in January two fi- 2015. Um uh, you know and I know that one of the biggest things in Recovery Coaches International uh, what we were trying to do is really uh differentiate uh the two between what is a peer recovery support specialist uh, and what is a recovery coach. So uh, could you talk a little bit about your book and tell our listeners the difference between what a peer support specialist is and a recovery coach and why recovery coaches often command a little bit more income? Well, there, uh, I'm going to just go back to the very beginning when William White developed the recovery management model. He defined recovery coaches as peer support specialists. That was his original definition. So two decades later, the industry, the fields have evolved. And what we have found is that there are a lot of titles to define these individuals out there supporting people in addiction recovery as well as in mental health recovery. So slowly but surely, these terms or job titles are, are starting to get defined. But quite honestly, it's an evolving, very fluid transition. And this is very, very important to remember. Uh, maybe 20 years from now, I'll have to change the title of my book. Because the titles could possibly change. There's, uh, that's how this world evolves. Uh, so a recovery coach today, when I polled individuals in the field, recovery coaching has been recognized as the term to use when it comes to working with people in recovery from addiction. Peer support specialists or peers or peer-to-peer recovery support specialists move in the mental health recovery realm. Still, the classification of an individual that has experienced this phenomenon, whether it's addiction recovery or mental health recovery, is there to help and support another person in the same situation they were in. That definition works for both job titles. The peer-to-peer or peer recovery support specialists tend to work in the mental health field and are those that are getting paid by Medicare and healthcare companies. 
Sure. And, They're and getting that, paid right now, and, whereas a recovery coach is not. Yeah, and and I've I th- certainly think that uh, uh, we're moving in that direction where it will be covered. You know, in the Midwest, uh, if we're starting to accept recovery coaching and starting to employ coaches, I think we're going to move it in that. Uh, it's going we're going to see it move in that direction over the next few years to help people make that jump from inpatient treatment facilities back into the real world and start really applying those skills. So, well, we only have uh, uh, about thirty seconds left from you, Melissa. Is, is there any final mm-hmm. message you'd like to tell our listeners? Except to reinforce what you just said. Yes, I think this is a phenomenon that is being accepted by the mainstream medical and mental health communities and is the start of a brand new field. Talk about being on the cutting edge of something. That in its own right is exciting. Absolutely. Thank you, Melissa, for being here. I appreciate your time. Thank Uh, you, Jacob, for asking me. Sure. Uh, And if you want to pick up her book again, it's called Recovery Coaching, A Guide to Coaching People in Recovery from Addictions. Excellent book, and it's available on Amazon Books now. Uh, So that's all the time we have today. Please join me next week as we talk with Vincent Hack, a chronic pain patient and Mel Pohl, MD, medical director of the Las Vegas Recovery Center, about dealing with chronic pain without painkillers. I'm Jacob Jansen, and enjoy life. Thank you for listening to I Took the High Road. Please join Jacob Jansen for another encouraging hour next Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you next week.